This is NHI Notables with Ernesto Nieto. Hello, this is Ernesto Nieto, and welcome to the discussion of NHI Notables, where we talk about topics and themes that have relevance to Latino community life. This is my first time to ever do this, and I appreciate the opportunity. And as a first-time venture or a first-time topic and a first-time person, we're going to visit for the next hour with Julio Cotto, who has been here with the National Hispanic Institute on two separate occasions, but also as a student participant and in a training role for a number of years. So Julio, first of all, welcome. Thank you. And let me start out with my first general question is, what brought you? What brought you? What do you remember the most of what brought you into the life of the National Hispanic Institute when you first participated? Uh, I wanted to win at something. <laughs> um, I had been doing, in my junior year in particular, I had been doing a lot of speech and debate, a lot of mock trial, a lot of competitive academic things. And so I guess that caused my counselor to take a second look when she got a brochure in the mail. She pulled me out of class, which I thought was a little odd. Um, so I went down to the counselor's office and she said, literally says, hey, I was about to throw this paper away and I thought of you Take it to your mom and your dad. It's due in two weeks. And what did they have to say? My parents were all about out-of-class enrichment camps. My parents met through youth camps. So anything that was camp, travel, staying away from home, they were always very, very supportive. I mean, they wanted us on planes. So, uh, so they wanted you to go. And was there any discussion about what the purpose of this was? Was there any I, mystery, uh, interest? That I, Here you were a kid from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You were going to go, as far as I remember, to the program in New Mexico. Or did you know by then it was New Mexico? I was originally wanting to go to the National, right? The name, oh, National. It's a Chicago, which my dad had been there a lot, so I knew the city, or at least about the city. It was closer. But because of scheduling, the only one I could do was New Mexico, which was very early on. So I chose that program. Thought it would definitely be different. I'd never been that far west, aside from once to California, to L.A. But other than that, I didn't know anything about the southwest or, or that whole part of the country. But I I think for us, it was just simple. It was Latino. It was academic. And it had something to do with debate and politics, which are things that I was interested in. And so it was pretty easy. For me, it was just a week away doing stuff that I like to do. It was It was a pretty simple decision. So did you have any other notions about what you were going to encounter? Any Anything that would make you either hesitate or get excited about going besides what you just said? I, I thought I was going to win because so I... You had, went there to get a title. I went there to get a trophy. And and honestly, and I've said this to, to people, my, my perspective was that because I was winning trophies against white kids and African-American kids and Asian kids that if it was just Latinos, this was going to be a piece of cake. So it was going to be a vacation of winning. So you <laughs> That's get, what I really can't okay. So you get there. There's 200 kids. It's the University of New Mexico. Uh -huh. You're going to go to the state capital in Santa Fe. You're go you run for lieutenant governor, I think. Yeah. Why? For the reasons you said, I mean, it was something to win at. And I think for what, what I heard from the staff was that the cooler job, okay. the more powerful role was the lieutenant governor or speaker, that the governor only signed stuff at the end. So 
that piqued my ear. And then I also thought strategically, if I go for the second spot, it doesn't seem as eager if I go for the top spot. Who was the candidate for governor? Who were the candidates? The two candidates were, I believe it was Matt Padilla, who became speaker. I believe he ran, and he was from New Mexico, and uh, Monica Lucero, who was from Raymondville and was also a junior. Yeah, we were all juniors. And who became the governor? Uh, Monica Lucero became governor, and then I became the lieutenant governor. And then the vice president, the lieutenant governor candidate on the other side, he became part of the cabinet. And and if you were to summarize that experience and what memory it left in you, well, how would you describe it? I think from the first night, I realized that everything I thought that the program was going to be, I had to throw it out the door. This wasn't going to be guest speakers and tournaments um, and panels and athletics at night, which is what I was used to. So that definitely made me a little uncomfortable. And then once you start playing the game, it's not like a it's not like a game in school that ends in forty five minutes. I mean, this thing is going to last for five six days. Like you're you're in for a ride. And I think at that moment, um, while I did get elected, I law I almost lost everything within twenty four hours. And and so to me that was the huge lesson because I thought that well I have a title and power so now everyone just does what I say like isn't that what leadership is you win at something and then people just do what you say um obviously super wrong and I learned more and more how wrong it was but I still explained to parents how that that to me was a really big leadership lesson of even if you're extroverted or animated and comfortable in front of people just like in sports you can't be a ball hog you can't do the same thing and just run over people. That's actually not how it works. You know, a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of students go to these programs thinking that they're going to take over and they're going to be kingpin and they're going to do this and that. And they come away changed. How did it change you? Then I realized that um, achievement is good and, and winning at stuff is good, but it's just one small, tiny element of development or what or what aspects of you really need to develop. And so I realized listening, collaborating, finding synergies of people from different backgrounds, um, you know, even just the mind shift of it. Like um, I came in with an attitude from my, the universe I was coming from that I was one of maybe three Latinos in my whole grade that were in AP or anything. So my assumption was that most Latinos were dumb or most Latinos were not college bound. How, how do you come to those conclusions? I don't, because I was 15, 16. That's all I knew. I, I mean, mean that, everything that around that me. The school was preaching something you heard. This, the news, scuttlebutt, you'd or? see it in church. You'd see it in your neighbor. I mean, you didn't see any images. So the only images of Latino and achievement or academic excellence was my dad. Even some of the more um, affluent Latinos were people who had put in their time in a career or at a firm and, you know, 20, 50, 30, you know, years in a company, but college or graduate school, it, it just wasn't heard of. So when I'm in that environment and 200 kids are all college bound, are all have better GPAs than me, they're all looking at IVs. I mean, that was something I was not used to, but I kind of got addicted to it. That's because I, I could be culturally confident and and feel that I could be intellectual or smart and not have to pretend to be white in order to be smart. I could just be myself and smart. So so how did that make you feel being around 
wonderfully intelligent young Latinas and Latinos. I know that you've remained friends with Monica Lucero through the years, and she's adopted today. Mm -hmm. so I think she lives somewhere in Washington State. How does that affect you in being around smart kids going to sharp universities with some sharp thoughts about who they were and their identity? I think now that I'm a dad and looking into home ownership and I've been married over 10 years and a lot of the resources or knowledge or just guidance, wisdom in life that I get are from friendships that I started building a long time ago through the Institute. And I look at things that my parents had to scratch their heads at or had to go to an outside consultant or hire someone for just simple questions about health or about finances or about real estate or about politics. I can really pick up the phone or just write an email and rely on friendships of world-class doctors, world-class attorneys, you know, let people who work in DC making the laws that we're debating right now. I can pick up the, I mean, I picked up the phone and called my congressman and the person who answered, I've known for 10 years through NHI. And I said, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk fun stuff in 10 minutes, but I have to give you a, a constituent account of uh, some opinions I have. All right, let's talk. I mean, I get straight to my congressman's office through NHI. I mean, that, that makes my overall quality of life and my ability to, I feel informed um, or feel confident in just decisions of adulthood come because of the resources at NHI that neither my college or my hometown really provided me. So you finish the week, you make a lot of friends, you have to return home. What was it like going back? Withdrawal, culture shock, um, living in a constant state of waiting for the next time you're going to get to be around this environment and these people. It was attractive, wasn't it? Yeah, because it, I mean, I went back and I, I already knew how to do what I, I mean, I was going into my senior year of high school. Um, I didn't even care about the college fairs or anything. Cause I had just, I had, I basically made my decisions in person at the LDZ. You know, I was, I already knew that BU was my top choice because I was working with someone that I met in New Mexico. Like I was looking at Chicago because I met Andre Phillips at New, you know. So school was just trying to finish to get to a means of being around NHI or NHIers again. So I know a lot of us were looking at New England for college. So even if it wasn't going back to the NHI program, we were all just trying to get to Rhode Island and Boston. Myself, Marisa, Kateri, Moni, like we just, we were ready to be in Boston and just be around each other again. You know, there is a, a former participant by the name of J.C. Cruz who talks about what do you do after paradise? And they refer to the LDZ experience as a paradise experience. H how did that compare with the normal activities of your school afterwards? I think that NHI gave me something that I had to get from separate, almost separate buckets. So if I wanted an intellectual challenge, I had to go to mock trial or I had to go to speech and debate or history club. If I wanted something cultural, it was the Latino club, which at my school was basically a dance club. Like that was basically it. Um, if I wanted some real big thought or even just in-depth conversation, some of it came from youth group at church and, you know, debating the Bible. So there were different buckets. So I had to go to different sources. And in the Institute, it was all there in one place, I could almost like tap 
all of the faculties and all of the parts of myself uh, in that space. And I know, I think it where actually, I think the turning point for me with NHI was the second year when I come back as a junior counselor. And I think I actually begged Gloria to come back <laughs> and probably leverage my novelty. Cause I don't, I think my recruits all dropped before the end of the, before the <laughs> summer, but I get myself there. And at that point, you at the training, I remember the staff training, you started at least from what I remember the first time talking about the concept of community equity building yeah. and community equity. And you made us all do an assessment of our own equity yes. and put a, a score on it. And it actually gave me this a new sense of confidence because, man, if I look at my cultural equity, I have parents from two different countries. I've been to three or four different places in Latin America. I've read some of this stuff. I know how to cook some of this. I mean, okay, cool. You know, political equity. I had actually volunteered with some campaigns. I, I knew friends who were majoring. So I, I just started doing this whole inventory none of which measured my GPA or where I was going to school. And I had a lot of equity there. And so it was hard to ever turn away from the fact that I knew that the most value I could extract from myself was probably within that Latino world, even though I could probably do well other areas, that, that I made that conclusion that, you know, if I just invest here, I already have a lot of good going for me here. So you make a... You make up your mind that you're going to come back as a junior counselor. Did you ever come back as a senior counselor? One, uh, twice. Yeah, the next summer um, I was in the running for a specialist job, Secretary of, State. Secretary of State. But the first two programs I was a SC, a senior counselor, and but then it by was the every end of year, the it was every year that you came back. No, and then the next summers it was as just as Secretary of State. But you were coming back. Just yeah, I came back every. The only summer I missed was 2008. So, why did you go and make the jump? Here you are, Julio, going to BU. You could have easily gone to law school. You could have easily stuck around uh, the East Coast, familiar with that part of the country. Uh, you're familiar with your parents' work, which is religious mostly. But you also have a kind of a community civic consciousness about who you are. But you want to come join NHI in its mission. Talk about that a little bit. I think that anything in the uh, more corporate world, whether it's accounting, business, finance, law, I mean, I knew that wasn't really for me. I think definitely how, coming... How do you come to that conclusion? I think that what I value about my upbringing, definitely the church community sure. that I was brought in, and just not just my dad's, but my uncle's and my grandparents. So definitely that the sense of community that I grew up with is too strong to like want to reject it, I guess. Like I need it in my life. I need that Latino family value, cultural values, sense of mission. a sense of mission and civics duty, which I think Methodist churches in particular have a always have a some sort of a call to action in terms of their their church mission but i knew i didn't want to be a pastor um i knew i didn't want to go into that into the clergy or necessarily limit myself to just christian efforts um i didn't really see any other really avenues and i didn't want to do just tutoring or addressing problems um and then i looked at the political world and 
I had some opportunities to, you know, campaigns or work for a party or, but I felt you were just going to be choosing sides. You had to just choose sides and you were essentially battling, you were engaging in war, beating uh, the other side or the left or the right or this candidate and <clears throat> losing is a big part of, a part of it. Or it just, it just, I, I think the deeper I got into college, the more I realized that I didn't want a cutthroat law school experience. I didn't want to go into politics. I didn't, I stopped believing in that as some sort of a mission for myself. But you had considered it earlier. Oh, as high school. Sure. Yeah. I was going to be the first Latino senator of Pennsylvania and I was going to be this powerful, influential guy. But my only understanding of it was, again, through winning a campaign, winning an election, popularity, title, prestige, um, all of which are superficial and don't amount to really anything. All of the things that we in here at the organization refer to as second reality. Right? Yeah. Material gain, status, ambition, mm -hmm. those kind of things. Let, let me talk a little bit about third reality, but not talk about it. Ask a question. When did you first encounter that discussion about that beyond the binary, the beyond uh, Latinos stuck in the binary of joining the mainstream or remaining fixed in a cultural, culturally centered existence? There is a third space, a third reality. How did you at first react to all of that? I would say that my first reaction to it was probably, it was this very almost deep philosophical, almost like Buddhist <laughs> way of being. Like I got to get myself to like this almost Zen state of <laughs> mind so that I can go through life and block all the influences out of my, but this almost very heady, <coughs> heady type intellectual exercise that you have to get in your head and learn how to reject or defray and, um, I think it was probably in grad school I chose to study your book and two others that I I kind of put myself outside of the NHI world to study it through a more traditional way. And I think what I was what I was seeing is that it's not some uh, esoteric or kind of like religious experience, but rather um, it's almost being more in control and determining what you want and what you want to see versus a reaction or a decision based on something that already exists or something that's already happened. Um, and so I saw that I could pick up, you know, pick up a sword with everybody else that's been fighting, or I could just reject cause and society and community and just be a little bit more individualistic and focus on my immediate nuclear family and focus on career. Um, but neither of those things I knew were going to make me uh, happier. And I, and I, and so I've, if anything, I've been chasing a community or a sense of community that doesn't really exist in most American communities, but we have the ability to build it. So if, if third reality and third, the third choice, the third space allows you to be more in control of the kind of life you want to lead, what kind of values you want to you want to embrace, uh, what kind of philosophic understanding you want to have towards the world. Uh, why don't more people do it? Why, why, why are people, in your view, so driven by ambition, material gain, or thinking that they're going to get stuck in a rut where they're at?
know. <laughs> no, um, I mean, you just get programmed real quickly. I mean, I, I just see how easily my three-year-old gets influenced okay. by anything, by a Disney, by a song, you know, and just you, the, the, the questions of school, the questions of your neighborhood or even of your civic leaders is constantly framed in a consumer or worker or just kind of frame. You need to, career is always the center. It's always that, I mean, it's, it is, it does become part of what defines you in a lot of spaces. So if that's what defines you, then you seek out the answer to what is my career. So should there be a critical examination, an active examination, the whole idea of is third reality a viable concept for Latinos or other people, other groups of people, for women, uh, for uh, other eth ethnicities, for other political views of the world? I think so. I just think Latinos haven't really, at least in several decades, have tried to chart out a course that is uniquely theirs. You know, I have found that the Latino communities either try to mimic other existing communities, um, even on a value system, on a uh, on a direction and leadership level, on a on a business level, um, or Latinos have tried to just keep quiet and conform and not rustle too many feathers and just be good, quiet citizens. If you know, if that's even a concept. Um, or to be reactionary and to just to be loud and fighting, which in a way to me is again a, mimic, angry an, a mimicry of other existing movements that have occurred. I don't think that the, that Latinos have really taken time in the last, at least since I've been on earth, to really sit and say, what is it that we want for our community and how do we want to define it? What's our agenda? And what, are, and what is our agenda? What are our values? And what is our contribution to the American experience in the world? Instead, it's, well, I want some too, or let's not be like this, or um, let's copy this strategy, or let's just keep fighting for what we've been asking for. And none of those things really interest me. Um, they can, they're noble, they're important. Um, God bless people who do that. And I think that, that it's a necessary role for people in the Latino community. But I think we're just going to get more we're out of our investment if we start looking inward and start investing and deciding for ourselves what it is that we really want and what are our priorities, not those that are dictated to us for agree, to agree or disagree with, but rather just determine on the onset. From so from a personal choice point of view. So let me, let me take you in the direction of your daughter, Sophia. Uh, she's a two-and-a-half-year-old. I, I three. three. She's a three-year-old now. Uh, and she's already in daycare probably or at least... You're planning on it. And before long, she'll be in either private school or public school. What are your concerns about how Sophia, I mean, given your life and your life journey and that of your wife, what are the things that keep you awake about what, how she's going to be influenced, how she's going to perceive herself in a society here in the United States, and how she's going to assign either value or non-value to her identity as a citizen? I mean, she's three, it's daycare, so I understand, you know, you need order and structure, don't get me wrong. But I see that 
I already see the early signs of what gives her recognition or purpose in the classroom is her ability to comply, her ability to behave, or her ability to complete her homework because she's three and she gets homework every night. Don't I mean the homework is important, the repetition, the letters. I get the value, but I it I see how that is just the door opening up of a whole series of just comply, follow the rules, do this. And if you're good at that, you achieve. And so it's how do I get her to see that those things are important, homework is important, you know, being a, behaving and not being, you know, unruly is important, but that isn't the measure of your success or achievement or intellect or intel. I mean, those are the things that, that bother me. And, and so how are you going to handle the challenge of her education? I don't know. Is that I think an oxymoron? I, I, is that a, is that a, the $64,000 question? It is. It is. At the same time though, I, I, I try not to stress too much because I think I've seen through NHI and working in this work and some work I did in New York, I've had the opportunity to so, see so many schools, like actual schools, elementary, middle, high schools, all over the country, all over the world, that I know that she's not going to go to the worst schools, and I know that she's not going to go to a bad school. I mean, I've really seen what some really bad because schools are. Because you're going to prevent it, or because... Uh, because of just where we will live, because of the economics, which we know is a huge factor in, in okay. like a child's schooling. Um, at the same time, my, my wife and I, we have four degrees. We've been in school. I work in schools. I mean, what is it really that, on a content level, that we don't already know? So I don't worry too much. I mean, if I'm an active, engaged parent, and I read with her, and I do her homework with her... Obviously, there's going to be new technologies and new science, but for the most part, there's things that I and my wife know that we can reinforce at home, which we also know is not the norm for a lot of kids. They don't have those parents at home reinforcing. So in terms of her schooling, I, I don't get too worried. Um, I think if anything, she and I, might and I probably spend now more time thinking about what are the other learning experiences she needs whether she's in daycare, pre-K three, private or public, it's it's what we do with the time that we have, and the extra time we can resource her with. She's really into dance right now, so we're doubling up on that. It may be music later. So trying to just whatever the school isn't going to get, we're going to have to add to it. In, in what ways you you well know that one of our most important imperatives as an organization is to instill in the child. The idea, the idea of community leadership versus personal ambition versus professional careers. And our, our, our statement is quite clear. We can do both. We can do more than one thing, uh, except dedicate and focus only on career and personal ambition. That there is a, there is a lot to be said about also using your, the, the, the value of your thinking capacities and your abilities to change lives. And Sophia is growing up in a, in a kind of society that's spread out all over the place with undefinable communities. Um, how are you going to help her see the importance and gain or put value on her also being a community leader wherever she lives? How are you going to help her gain that sense of 
mission as you talk about it, that sense of purpose, because it's valuable to her makeup, valuable to her mental health, valuable to her ability to be part of a larger society. We have to demonstrate it for her. So it's, it's not an exercise. It's not a, a club I can pay for. I'm going to have to demonstrate it, which means as you ask that question, I think back to where did I learn some of these things? And it's getting schlepped around to meetings and civic meetings and town halls. And sometimes just because they, my parents didn't have babysitters. So my dad being a pastor and then my mom um, worked for the school district and was a pretty active employee with the union and, you know, meetings. And, you know, she she showed up to school board meetings. And again, we were there. So I think we had a glimpse of how decisions get made or that there are these structures within communities that, that, that have power over things like water and prices and budgets and the parks and where they're going to put a road. Um, I can't show that to her unless I'm doing it. I don't think. So I think it, it's more on me to increase my community and civic engagement in order to demonstrate her a norm um, almost the norm of a citizen is to be engaged, not just to, you know, be the Monday morning quarterback on politics or city decisions, which is easy to be. So well, I, I, I can't just, you have to be an active community member. If I'm just focused on work, culture and her, and don't actually do anything in the community. I think you will know. And I know as we come towards the end of this interview, that NHI is likely one of the few, if not the only organization in this country uh, that that actually focuses and on the skills associated with community leadership. We emphasize communication, we emphasize governance and policy, and we emphasize critical analysis and social policy analysis. As part of those things that come to mind or come into play as we envision ourselves in community leadership roles. And so, in your almost 12, 14 years that you've been here with your organization. Where do you want to see NHI change and improve? I think it's a time of now trying to formalize our, our approach uh, into a much more organized strategic and almost streamlined way the we we bring on we we host engage we have all these great conversations we engage um young people volunteers and in, in, in thought processes you know great content is generated new knowledge is, is created but it sometimes just goes up into the air okay um because the the there's no mechanism to root it to the next level so i think that as we root or create mini NHIs, mini Maxwells um, across the country and across the hemisphere, it will allow us the opportunity to have a local, a, a local body that's able to keep this energy going, to keep people thinking, to keep people conversing. And if the energy is created, I know that once NHI has an energy, an active energy force moving, um, it's hard to stop it. But when it does stop, it's like, you know, it's like physics. You have to start the force all over again. And do you foresee getting back to your daughter, Sophia, being part of that learning experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if anything, I'm building now for it. 
I mean, I, I can count it she's in my head. She's going to be here at NHI. Yeah, she's that. 12 years, you know, 12 years out. Um, You're already counting. Kevin. I'm already counting and, and trying to imagine how I want it to be for her or how much more exciting uh, or more impactful um, or bigger. So are you going to encourage her to go off like you did on her own to go to some distant program of the National Hispanic Institute? Yeah, absolutely. If not before. I'm probably going to have to take courses on to learning how to do that for myself. <laughs> but no, I mean, my parents, I mean, my brother went to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip at 15. The other one went to Honduras at 16. My parents let me go to Spain at 15 for a month. Um, you know, we'd go to church conferences where we drive cross country from the East coast of Florida. I mean, there was definitely a value for getting out of the house and being learning to be independent and be on your own and meeting new people. Um, so I hear that sometimes from kids and parents, Oh, my parents would never let me go. And I'm thankful those were not my parents. My parents were like, no, you're going to go even if you don't want to. So as we conclude this, what value at the end of the day and to what degree is that value placed on the importance of the work of NHI in your view? What value do you see it now and in the future in the lives of young Latinos? Is it an option or is it something that has to be fundamental to the life of every child? I would say NHI or an experience like it, which I don't know that there are, um, but an experience to develop, you know, these skills and faculties we've talked about, but while equally allowing you to build yourself up from what you, what, where you're at, from what, what's foundationally inside of you and how do you activate the assets and resources that are within you, whatever they are, whatever they are, because school is about meeting to the standards or the resources or the requirements or skills that were designed for you. You may have to import them. You may have to get tutoring for them. But in the Institute, it's about your human purpose. It's about your core value, your, your, the things that matter to you, the, your dreams, your hopes, and not in the terms of, I want to be a firefighter, in terms of, I want to live in a community that looks like this, or I want to have a family that has the opportunity to do this, or I want to see my culture be this. Um, and most, I, I don't know of a lot of environments that, that focus on those types of messages and conversations, but I think that that is what triggers a lot of our kids to be so excellent is because they eliminate these barriers in their psyche and in their thinking that keep them from being, going from A to A plus plus players. It's not the skills as much as it is the internal understanding that everything about them is valuable. Everything about them uh, is resourceful and, and, and has asset value, can be translated into power, into energy. It's not just complying with what the world says is important. Well, Julio, as always, I enjoy these conversations with you. We've been having them for a long time, and they continue to be enjoyable. I want to thank the listening audience for checking in on this conversation. Hope we get as much out of it as Julio put into it. Thank you, and until next time, we'll talk about notables of the future. Good evening.